We're at 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we started this book, this letter, this epistle last week. And we start to find out that Paul is addressing the issue of suffering and of pain. Today, more than ever, we know that we are going through different types of suffering or pain or trials or tribulation. But one of the things that here Paul highlights in regards to suffering and trials and pain and tribulation is how to handle tribulation in your life. Because Paul was going through tribulation in his life in this particular moment as he writes this letter. And as he writes to the church of Corinth, this second letter, he's demonstrating now his heart. He's opening up a little bit more to them. He's now letting them in into his own private life and showing showing them how much or everything he goes through in order to serve them. Why is he doing that? Why does Paul have to do that? Why does he have to pull back now the the veil now or the curtain? Let us now in behind the scenes to let us know a little bit of the emotion of what he's going through in in order to serve the church. Well, I'll tell you this is because the church at the time started to reject the first letter that he wrote to them in correction. Not only were they rejecting his authority, rejecting now the word that came to them, rejecting the correction, rejecting the the confrontation that came in that first letter. But they're saying, Paul, you're not really an apostle. I mean, I, I think that this letter is for us today. Because today, not only do we reject the correction, we reject the conviction, we also reject the authority that's coming from the word of God. Well, think about this. What would happen if we really believed as a church, as a community, as a people, as a country, that the Word of God was the authority? It would change the way we live. So now he writes this second letter and he has to start by defending himself and saying, I really am an apostle. And I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you in which ways I can demonstrate and prove that to you. Well, first I'll prove it to you by the way that I suffer for you. See, there's nothing more that you can do to demonstrate your love for someone else. When you face some, when you head on suffering and saying, I'm doing this for the sake of others because I love them. But then he tells us in verse 3, if we can read that verse as we pick up in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Blessed be or praise be the, um, to God and the Father. Of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He is the God where all encouragement, all strength, all edification, all now, uh, you know, courage comes from. Who comforts us, God, who through Jesus comforts us, gives us encouragement in all our tribulations. Jesus is present in every tribulation. Some people say, well, this tribulation is too strong for the Lord. I cannot overcome this. There is no tribulation that is so thick. There is no dark moment so heavy in your life that God cannot give you hope to go through. Who God who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by. What does God provide for you? He provides comfort. You know, see, the topic of does God's comfort cure every type of pain? Yes, it does. (laughs) Sometimes we believe in today's society there are now teachings or or, or now ideas in where God's comfort does not heal every single pain. Yes, it does. 
God's comfort is supernatural. It gives you strength. It gives you endurance. Here he talks about Paul. Paul talks about right now, it not only does this, this, this comfort that, that God gives you through suffering give you endurance, but it makes you stand fast, firm in God. There is nothing more encouraging today for you to hear than to know that God is comforting you through your situation, regardless of how bad the situation can be. Jesus is present in every tribulation. Now, the God offers us and makes comfort available to us, not so that we can keep it to ourselves. Know that, please. The comfort that God gives you is not so that you can keep it to yourself. The comfort that God gives you is so that you can pass it along to somebody else. He's not called or giving you comfort so that you can be comfortable. He's giving you comfort so that you can be a comforter to someone else because you've been through that very situation. You know what the most foolish things that we can do is when someone's going through something and say, you know what? I understand when you've never been through that situation. You know, it's so now almost distasteful to hear someone say that, well, I know what you're going through when you've never been through that. But when you've been through that situation, when you've been through the pain, when you've been through the struggle, guess what? You can say, you know what? The comfort that I've received during that season, I can extend it to someone else now while they're going through that. The trial that you're going through today can be used for someone else's trial in the day of tomorrow. We have to understand that. What do me and you learn today as a church from suffering? Why is it that God allows trials? Why is it that God allows pain in our life? Some people have said, and I've heard it even this week, if God is so good, if He's so loving and merciful, if God is real, why does He allow these things to happen? Why does He allow these things to happen to, to the, the people in the world? Or what does it happen even to the church or even to Christian leaders? Why is it that God allows this to happen? Well, understand this, when we chose, when Adam chose in the Garden of Eden, when he chose sin, guess what came with that sin? Also pain came with sin. Also sorrow came with sin. Also sickness came with sin. All of all that fall was followed by sin because we live in a fallen nature. We cannot blame God for the pain and the struggles in what we go through today. It's so easy today, everybody wants to blame God. You can't blame God. But you can go to Him for comfort and for strength. There's three major things that you learn as you are a Christian today going now through a trial. Number one, what you learn as you're going through a trial is you learn now to comfort other people. Through your trial, God is teaching you compassion. If you've never been through trial, if you've never been through struggle, you don't know what it is to have compassion. But now as you've gone through struggle and through trial and through tribulation, God is changing your heart to have compassion for other people. That's how you're able to comfort them. You're not able to comfort someone until you first have felt their need. You feel that need. You felt that pain. Now you're able to comfort them. God allows you to go through trial or He now teaches you through trial how to comfort other people by teaching you compassion. Number two, what does He teach you through trial and through suffering and through tribulation? Now, he, what, this is what the Lord does as well. Number two, He allows you and He teaches you to put your confidence in God and not yourself. Because when everything is going good, your confidence is in self and experience and expertise. And whatever it is that you think that you are good at and your confidence now is in man instead of in God. But what happens when you hit rock bottom? And the only way you have is to look up to the Lord. The Lord is saying, I'm allowing you to go through this because I want your confidence to be in me. 
Now the Lord teaches you to put your confidence in God alone and not on man, not on ourselves. And number three, God teaches you through suffering, through trial, through tribulation, even through pain. He teaches you, number three, to claim the promises of God. There's nowhere better to go when you're going through pain than to the word and to the promises of God. Now here he's going to tell us in verse 8, Paul, as he teaches us and he's telling now the church of Corinth, that they are called to be steadfast, they're called to endure, they're called to have that marathon runner's spirit that doesn't quit, doesn't quit when they're going through struggle, doesn't give up, doesn't just throw in the towel, and this is too hard for me, so I'm going to take the easy way out. No, Paul is going through some heavy struggle, and he's going to tell them, I'm sharing you my suffering, I'm going to share with you my story, I'm going to share with you my heart, so that you know that I really truly love you. And I, want, I don't want you to be ignorant of what's, what's taking place behind the scenes. It's important that we, we are not a church that's ignorant. You know how you become ignorant when you're not in the Word of God? When you're not in prayer? We become ignorant of God's will. And we don't know what God wants for our lives. But Paul is saying, I'm going to disclose my pain to you. I'm going to become a little vulnerable right now because there's some strength and vulnerability I'm going to allow you to look into my heart so you can know how much I love you and that the authority and the position and the correction that I'm coming from is a position of love. I don't have a hidden agenda. I don't have a hidden motive. Like these false teachers that are coming in, I'm actually going through it. And my apostleship is not because I'm successful. My apostleship is because I'm going through suffering for you and with you. Now he says this in verse 8. For we don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. (laughs) Look how he opens it up. We don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that not only do you comfort us, but you also deliver us. God, thank you that as we're going through trials, not only do you comfort us, but you also deliver us. And we ask so that you would teach us what it means to be delivered. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. Now it says this, now brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to just be unaware, uneducated when it comes to the suffering. And I want you to understand our troubles. But but they weren't only just any type of trouble. You see, as a Christian leader, Paul was now here spearheading now missionary journeys. He was standing at the forefront. And the closer you get to that battle line, the hotter the fire will feel. I had someone tell me this week, you know what? I don't really believe that Christian leaders feel any more burden than than anyone else in the church. Well, the Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant because you don't know. If you've never been there, then you just don't know. I'd rather be a pastor, this individual told me, because you guys have it easy than any other job that I can choose. You know, everything else is hard. I'd just rather be a pastor, just fellowship with God, and everything will be fine. (laughs) Well, you know what? Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Because look at what he says now in verse 8. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble, which came to us in Asia. What kind of trouble? Have you ever had a trouble? That was so hard, that was unbearable, that you thought that, you know what, there is no way that I can overcome this trouble. This is what Paul felt. There's a lot of times that we feel so despair, so troubled, even depressed. And I really feel that this was a a heavy type of trouble, an anxiety that was almost depression now in the life of Paul. Because look at the words that he uses. 
Look at the, 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 now the verbiage that he gives us. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant. You, I want you to know that this is real. That when I'm doing ministry, this is real. That the, the price that I have to pay, that what I have to go through in order to serve you as people. It says that we were burdened beyond measure. We were burdened beyond measure, beyond any type of measure. You know what it says right there in the New Living Translation? We, I want you to know, dear brothers, that our trouble that we went through in that province of Asia, we were crushed and we were overwhelmed. Maybe you came today crushed inside. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Crushed and overwhelmed, it tells us here. And not only does it say crushed and overwhelmed, verse 8, but he goes on and he tells us this beyond measure and above strength. Above any strength, so that we despaired even our life. You see, he's telling us here, you know, we are crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. As we thought that we would never live through it. Have you ever been in a situation in life where you said, I don't think I'm going to make it. I don't think I'm going to go through it. This is such a dark moment of my life. I don't think I'm going to live. I don't think there's hope for me. The pressure that I'm feeling is too heavy. In fact, he's saying, I am feeling so afflicted now. The oppression is so heavy upon me that it's beyond any escape. See, people now today, we sometimes start to tend to believe there is no escape in this pain, in this affliction, in this burden. There is no escape. And this is what Paul felt. Paul felt, you know, we're so overwhelmed. We're so crushed. It's beyond our strength. It's beyond our ability to endure. There's nothing that I can do anymore. In fact, I, 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 I thought this oppression was beyond any type of escape that I've ever experienced. I, I, there was no way out. Verse 9, look what he says. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. You know, he said, we thought we were going to die. We thought this was it. Now, what kind of suffering was he going through in nature? He was going through some persecution. He was going through some opposition. He was going through some spiritual warfare. Even in his mind, we can say, as we read now, the different epistles that he wrote. And what does this teach us? That you too will go through some very dark moments of life. Dark moments of life where you think there is no hope. You don't have ability within yourself to be able to endure. That you don't have the ability now within yourself. That the oppression is so strong that there is no escape. And he's saying, I want you to know that we felt this pain too. That we felt crushed. We felt burdened. We felt overwhelmed. In fact, verse 9, he says, as, as a result of this, we had the sentence of death in ourselves. This was life-threatening, he tell, he's telling us. In this position, we expected to die as a result of this. But look at what he tells us now in verse 9. It says, we thought that we were going to die, however, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Where is the power in your struggle? The power in your struggle is not in anything that you have received from a resource here on earth. The power is in God who raises the dead. Now, why does he tell us that? If God can raise the dead, can he not give me strength through this trial, through this trouble, through this dark season of my life? Yes, he can. A lot of times we think, you know what, well, I don't think God can help me when it comes to this because maybe this is something that I'm going through, I've been going through for many years. Maybe this is a mental thing, maybe this is a clinical thing, but what does the Bible tell us? The Bible tells us that God's strength, He has the power to raise the dead. And if God has the power to raise the dead, if His power can raise the dead, can we not put our trust 
that our strength can come from Him even when we're going through moments where we feel the oppression is so heavy that we don't even have a way of escaping? You see, what does suffering do? You know, it, it taught Him something here, Paul. To stop relying on Himself and learn to rely on God. Through suffering, through pain, through trial, you learn stop relying on yourself and start relying on God. You see, suffering and trials are reminding us that God is the God who has the power to raise from the dead and brings those type of results. And God doesn't waste time. God will use suffering as a school, as a classroom, so that we can learn what it means to trust Him. It is in the struggle that you understand that some lessons in life and struggle, you understand some lessons in life cannot be learned until they're first lived. For example, trusting God. Because when you have no way of escape, then you learn, I have to trust God. And what is here to, Paul teaching us? To not put our confidence in ourselves. That there is no room for self-confidence when you're going through struggle. The only room that you have there is to trust in God alone. Suffering destroys all self-confidence in the flesh. It's amazing. It's almost like you can face suffering and pain in a trial and say, Lord, here I am. Through trial, through pain, through suffering, destroy all the confidence that I have in myself and in my flesh. Destroy all of that. Because when, you're, when it's out of your control, guess what you do? You look to the Lord. And Paul said here, you know, we thought that we were going to die. However, we exchanged our self-confidence for our trust in God. I'll tell you this. The Holy Spirit cannot work when your heart is full with self-confidence. The Holy Spirit cannot work when your heart is filled with self-confidence. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. Sometimes our hearts and our minds are so filled with self-confidence that we are strong in and of ourselves. And that's the moment that we are the weakest. Because our trust is in ourselves and not in the Lord. Here Paul is saying, through that suffering, we learn. In that classroom, we learn. In that school of suffering, we learn that our trust should be in God alone. Regardless of how dark that season would be. Jeremiah 17 verse 5. Look what the Lord tells us here through the prophet Jeremiah. He says, thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. If you put your confidence and your trust in man, you're going to get hurt. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. You're going to get disillusioned, let down, and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert. Have you ever seen a shrub or a tumbleweed in the desert? What happens during when the wind comes? The tumbleweed goes one way. And then the tumbleweed comes, you know, the wind comes and the tumbleweed goes another way. And that's sometimes how we are when our confidence is in man as we're going through the desert. <laughs> and think about that. I'm going through the desert and I'm just like a shrub one way or another. But it says, but he shall, it says here, and he shall not see when good comes. But he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in, in the, a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed. Now, that's the contrast. Now, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord. What's the difference here? You're not going to be that shrub where things come in the wilderness season of your life, in that desert dry air season of your life, that you're pushed from one way to another. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted. When you trust in God, you become planted. 
planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaves shall be green, and he shall not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. You see, what, what happens here? What is he teaching us here, Jeremiah? What are we learning here from 2 Corinthians through Paul's life? That we ought to be planted as a tree by the rivers of water when it comes to trusting God. Because a tree that's by the rivers of water, I mean, just imagine that a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, it gets to spread now its roots very far. And no matter what comes its way, that tree is going to stay standing. And he doesn't have to be anxious in the year of drought. Because he's planted by the water. How many times have we been anxious in the year of drought? Lord, I feel so anxious because I don't feel like you're talking to me. I feel so anxious because I don't, I'm worried because I'm not doing this in life right now. I feel worried or anxious because of the fact that, that I'm not in the place where I thought I would be. And our, our entire Christian life is moved one way or another by emotions. Instead of saying, I'm planted by the rivers of water. And no matter what, I am not anxious in the year of drought because my trust is in God and not in man. And I can go through it all through Christ. You see, we always take that verse out of context when it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we say, you know what? This is for those that want to win a game. <laughs> we see it on athletic jerseys. We see it on shoes. We see it all marketed all over the place. But Paul wrote that line, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You want to know when he wrote that? He wrote that when he said, I can suffer. I can go through this because Christ is strengthening me. Next time you're going through a trial and you feel so discouraged, I can do it through Christ who strengthens me. Because I'm suffering. He didn't write it from a position of a winner. He wrote it from a position of a sufferer. He wrote it from a position of someone that was going through trial. I can go through this. Christ is strengthening me. I feel the pain. I feel the oppression. I feel the loneliness. I feel the discouragement. I feel the, the, now the anxiety, the worry now. I, I feel that it's beyond escape. That, that even the sentence of death is upon me. But I can do it with Christ who strengthens me. On the other hand, what did Jesus tell us in John 15 verse 5? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So there is two areas now that we can study today. If, if he's the vine and you're connected to him as the branch, that means that with him you can do it all. You, can, you have the strength to persevere, to endure. But without him you can do nothing. Without Him, you can do nothing, but with Him, you can go through everything because He gives you the strength to endure. Now verse 10, it tells us this. Now we had the sentence of death in ourselves, but we put our trust in the Lord who raises the dead. But what else did the Lord do besides raise the dead? Here He gives us a lesson. He goes from past, present, and future, the work of God in your past, the work of God in the present and the work of God in the future of what God wants to do in your life and what He did in Paul's life. It says, who delivered us. We put our trust in God who raises dead, who delivered us, past tense, from so great a death. Oh, there's no way that no one can help me right now. Well, God delivered Paul from so great a death. And then he goes on here and does deliver us in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. What an amazing promise. Now he's saying, when I look back, I know God delivered us. He rescued us from so great a death. And there's so many times where people say, you know what? I feel so lonely that I, I feel like I'm going to do something stupid. And I'm going to regret it later. 
I feel so anxious. I feel so worried that I don't know what to do now. But look what this promise that lies here. Not only in the comfort, but also in the deliverance of God through your trouble and your, through your pain. He delivered us. He rescued us from so great a death, from that type of danger. Now, what did it, let, let's kind of study this verse, verse 9, because it says here, we had the sentence of death upon ourselves. And then in verse 10, it says, He delivered us past tense. Can you remember right now a time in your life when God delivered you? Do you remember a time in your life when you prayed and God really came through for you and He answered you? He delivered us. Now it tells us this, from so great a death, and does, second, and does deliver us. Past tense delivered and does deliver us. Present tense, the day He's delivering us still, in whom we trust and we have faith that He will still deliver us. That's amazing. I should put a smile on your face today, church. Come on. He delivered us. He it does deliver us, and He will still deliver us. What a promise from past to present to future. There is deliverance in God. When you put your trust in Him, He will still deliver us. He will still deliver us. Maybe you need to hear that today. He delivered me. He does deliver me. He will still deliver me. That's already comfort in that. What would happen if when you were going through a dark moment of your life, you, you remind yourself, Lord, thank you because you've given me comfort through the, your presence, the Holy Spirit. But you delivered me in the past. You delivered me today. You will deliver me in the future. Your word says it, that I can go through this because you strengthened me. Now, verse 11, it says, you also helping together in prayer for us. Now, what can we do while we wait as we're going through that suffering? You might say, well, I know God's going to deliver me, but that doesn't mean that this is still isn't painful. I know God's going to deliver me. That doesn't mean it just takes it away overnight. I understand that completely because the Bible tells us that. The Bible teaches us that. Of course, but what does it say to do as you wait? <laughs> as you wait, we must do something. Sometimes we think, you know what? I have so much going on right now in life. I can't come to prayer. <laughs> no, that's the opposite. We should say, I have so much going on in life right now, I must go to prayer. Because of that. That's more of a reason. Now he says, you also are helping together in prayer for us. The best way to help, the best way to help is come, look, I love this word, together. The best way to help is to come together. Can we say that together? The best way to help is to come together in prayer. See, sometimes we think that there's no value in the prayer meeting, and we don't go to the prayer meeting, but our life is still filled with anxiety, our life is still filled with worry, our life is still filled with pain and depression and discouragement, and we wonder why. We're waiting for the comfort. We're waiting in the waiting room for comfort, but the only waiting room that exists for comfort, you want to know what the waiting room for comfort is? Have you ever been to a hospital and you're in the waiting room anticipating the birth of someone, right? And you're just so excited, you're anticipating now that birth that's going to give us so much comfort now after that little season of pain. Well, think about it like that. It's just a little season of pain, and then it's going to give you comfort after that little season of pain. But you have a waiting room that you can wait at with your relatives. Do you want to know the waiting room for comfort in the Bible? You know what the waiting room for comfort is called? The prayer meeting. The waiting room for comfort. That means that I can wait in the prayer meeting for the comfort that I'm expecting after a small season of pain. 
after a small season of pain, I can sit in the waiting room, which is the prayer meeting, expecting the comfort that comes after a small season of pain. Are you going through a small season of pain maybe right now? You see, they helped. The church helped. But how did they help? They helped because they came together. And they came together as they came to pray together. That's the best way to meet the needs that are taking place in our lives. I will tell you, you probably will not feel as alone as you sometimes do if you came to meet and prayed with other Christians. Because you knew people were standing with you through that suffering. Look what it tells us. There's only a small season of pain and after there's comfort. But the waiting room of that is prayer. You also helping together in prayer for us that, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gifts granted to us through many. Now we're praying now together. God's going to meet the needs. And I want us to have, now Paul is saying, a public thanksgiving of what God has given us or how He's answered our prayer. A praise report. Thanks be given. Praise reports be given, right? Answers the prayer that God has graciously answered for safety and for protection. It is where we learn in prayer to, to wait on God. And our prayer, guess what it becomes? Our prayer is turned into praise. The best worshipers are those that learn what God has done in their life through prayer. They would raise their hands because I know what God has done through prayer in my life. I know how He's changed my life. Prayer is turned into praise as you wait. That was so amazing this week when we started to not only pray for the entire week. And you know, at the end of the week we see praise reports that people were waiting for for years prior. We see answers to prayer come alive because people in the church came together to pray. And guess what happened? At the end of the week, there was praise reports, just like what he's talking about right here in verse 11. Prayer and then thanksgiving. You know that prayer and thanksgiving, are, are they go together? In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul tells us this, to be anxious for nothing. Let's read it. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about nothing. What are you talking about, Art? What are you talking about, Paul? I'm going through this deep depression and season in my life where it's so dark. But don't worry. It's only temporary. Don't worry about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, praying to God. Go through it by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. The best way... To have peace is to pray. Prayer is a place to be in, to wait. You see, one of the things we're learning even in verse 11 is that through suffering, you can hold on to this. And I want you to know this because maybe you're having a rough day and a rough week. And you're, you, the, the week that you're caught, I don't even want to go. And I don't want it to be Monday now. <laughs> I don't want to go to work. I don't want to see that family member. I don't, I don't want to face that trial. I don't want to face that situation. I don't want to face that circumstance. What can you hold on to in that moment? You can hold on to prayer, number one. But also, number two, you can hold on to the promises of God that He delivered, He does deliver, and that He will deliver. Prayer, number one. Number two, the promises of God that He's delivered, does deliver, and will deliver still. But number three, as you trust Him, guess what it leads you? To deeper fellowship with God. You become intimate with the Lord. You get to go closer to Him. You get to draw near to Him. You get to hold on to Him. 
And you know that in the process of you getting closer to Him and trusting Him, He starts to change your life, change you from the inside out. Because suffering also produces holiness. It also is you being tried in the fire right now. And God's going to pull you out of the fire different than the way you went in. Suffering produces holiness and reminds us. Suffering produces holiness, but it reminds us that we have hope. Suffering should remind you of pain. Suffering should remind you of hope as a Christian. You know what the world does when they think of suffering? They think of pain forever. But when we are going through those trials, we should think of hope forever. In Romans 5, 3, it says, And not only that, we also glory in tribulations. You have to be kidding me, Paul. You glory in tribulations, not us. <laughs> Sometimes we think that. That's good that you can glory, but I don't want to glory in tribulations. No, Paul's saying, I'm going to have a good attitude about these tribulations. Because I know that God is working in me something greater. It says, I glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces produces, tribulation produces, it, it births, perseverance. Perseverance means endurance. Endurance. And perseverance, that endurance, character. It makes you more mature now to going through suffering. And that character, that maturity now, gives you hope. Our suffering produces holiness, and holiness produces hope in Christ. Now hope does not disappoint. Your suffering, your trial right now, what you're thinking about right now, whatever's going through your mind, the emotions that you're going through, it disappoints you. It is very disappointed. Maybe you came, you're very disappointed right now. You're very let down. But hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. You know, I mean, that's amazing. It's like the Lord just took His love and He says, you know what? I'm just going to pour it in your heart. I'm going to just pour it in your heart. In your life, even through tribulation, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. See, the Holy Spirit, His ministry is to comfort us. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to be not only in us, but also alongside of us. Not only alongside of us, as He's in us and inside us, but also upon us. And what does the Holy Spirit do as He's upon us? He empowers us empowers us upon us inside of us he starts to change us alongside of us he starts to comfort us so we don't feel lonely but when the holy spirit comes upon us the holy spirit the ministry of the comforter guess what he does he gives us power he equips us he anoints us with power to do the work of god and that's what we need to ask the lord lord i want a fresh now filling of the holy spirit I want a fresh feeling of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells us now from verse 12, 13, and 14 in just three verses. He tells us and he teaches us how he is so spirit-led even in the midst of suffering. Because see, the people here thought that Paul was not real. He was not sincere because Paul changed plans. They thought he was very unreliable. I think that what we need today is reliable Christians. Trustworthy Christians. Christians that are consistent, not inconsistent. Not to say one thing and then do the other. You see, in ministry, Paul knew it. If I say yes, then it's yes. If I say I'll be there, I'll be there. If I say this time, then it's that time. That's part of your integrity. If you, if you say one thing but always do the other, you're double-tongued. You're, you're lacking and you're very weak and you're very inconsistent when it comes to integrity. And they were saying, well, Paul, you know what? We also don't trust you because you said you were going to come, but you actually really didn't come when you said you were, and you just sent a letter. You didn't come a second time. And they were now 
accusing Paul of being unreliable, untrustworthy, and inconsistent. But Paul is saying, I'm going to defend that. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not a flake. I'm not fake either. I don't have my hidden agenda. I don't have my, my uh, power-hungry motive now. But what does he tell us? Look how he does ministry. The same way that me and you should do it even through suffering. We'll have a lot going on. I can't, I can't be consistent. I can't be committed. Paul teaches us what commitment looks like. Verse 12, he says this. For our boasting is this. The testimony of our conscience is that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with the flesh and wisdom, but with the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. What does he tell us in verse 12? I want you to understand that even through this, in spite of this, my boast is that I have a pure conscience. You can't preach, you can't teach, you can't serve God with power if there is not a pure conscience. There's a lot of times when we try to serve God with power, but you know why the power lacks, why we lack power? Because we also lack the pure conscience. A pure conscience comes from walking a life of integrity and a life of holiness. That we cannot walk a, live in a life of integrity and of holiness, we're going to lack the pure conscience, the boldness, the courage to now have the pure conscience to step out into what God is calling us to do. I'm boasting, he says this, that I can preach with power because of my testimony. What allows you to preach with power is your testimony. Once you, your testimony is ruined, guess what? You can no longer preach with power. You might as well just sit down <laughs> with love. Because you can't preach with power. You can't have a testimony with power because your, your testimony has now been ruined. But he says now our boasting is this testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves. This is how we behave ourselves in the world. This is the way that we behave ourselves in the world. How do you behave in the world? Not in the church, but in the world. How does the soul and light go out in the world? He says, we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. In simplicity and godly sincerity. You know what he's using two words? In humility and in holiness. What's the attitude of a servant that's going through suffering? Humility and holiness. In simplicity and godly sincerity. You know what he's telling us here? Without duplicity. Without duplicity. Duplicity means I'm, 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 I act one way this, at this place, but I act another way here at the church. In the world, I, I live without duplicity, Paul is saying. I live in sincerity. I live in simplicity and humility, not with fleshly wisdom. Not with my confidence in myself. I didn't rely and depend on myself, on my experience. I, I depended in, on God's grace. You see, we, maybe even we know with the experience that you have. Why is it that the experience that you have is still not able to come for you when you're going through pain? Why is it that your experience, why is it that your position cannot come for you when you're going through pain? Why is it that the way people look at you and perceive you cannot come for you when you're going through pain? Because nothing can, only the hope that comes through God. Only the grace of God can come for you as you're going through pain. And Paul is reminding us here this, in sincerity and humility, not with fleshly wisdom, not the wisdom of the world, not with the confidence in the flesh, but it says here now, but by the grace of God and more abundantly towards you. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. It says, as we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived a God-given holiness, with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all our dealings, 
We have depended on God's grace and not on our own human wisdom. This is how we have conducted ourselves before the world and especially towards you. How do they conduct themselves? Not on our own human wisdom. We have depended on God's grace. Now I want you to know today, as we finish off this morning, that we are not to depend on ourselves, on our worldly wisdom, on our flesh, on our strength, on our accolades, on our experience. Because sometimes we have a tendency of depending upon that. On how many resources we have, or how much do we know, on our expertise maybe, on our, even on our profession. But we ought to depend on the grace of God. Because it is the grace of God that gives us strength, that allows us to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But what, how do we do that? As we wait. And the best waiting room for comfort, which is prayer. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We ask that in the world, the church would conduct themselves with simplicity and godly sincerity. That that would be, Lord, our heart, simplicity and godly sincerity. Because simplicity is the integrity, Lord, that we have, Lord, to trust in you. And godly sincerity is walking in holiness the moments that we compromise in our lives, God. Our lives are filled with worry, with despair. I ask, Lord, right now for anyone that's going through suffering, through trial, through temptation, through pain, that you would teach us, Lord, 